Good evening. Tonight's interviewee is a man in black. I am Toby Haydock, your man in beige. The cricket's been rained off, but I've been made to feel very welcome with a chocolate muffin and a cup of tea in the house of somebody who holds a very special place in the history of Doctor Who. He was top of my list of people I wanted to get uh, at this uh, juncture in proceedings, so I'm going to... It's a great thrill for me to ask him to tell me who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Well, um, I'm Edward D'Souza, and uh, yes, uh, we're very relieved, rather shamefully relieved, about the draw at uh, Old Trafford, but um, because the Australian bowlers were on fire. But at any rate, it's um, our ashes. We keep the ashes, and that is the triumph of the day. Now, <coughs> the first thing, the very first thing I can remember about Doctor Who, and it was um, the first thing I can remember was going up in the lift at... Um, the Acton Hilton, as we used to call it, the Acton rehearsal rooms, and uh, and somebody who was I was at drama school with got into the lift with me, and I said, "Oh, um, uh, what are you? What are you? Where are you going?" And he said, "I'm going to floor four. I said, "So am I." He said, "Oh." Um, uh, I said, well, what are, you, what, are you, what are you going to be in? And he said, Doctor Who. And I said, oh, really? Because I'm going to be in Doctor Who. What are you playing? And he said, he said, I'm playing a Varga plant. Well, that was quite a surprise to me because he was, he was a rada with me. He was one of the older students. And, of course, the older students usually got the bigger male parts and uh, he was thought to be you know quite a, a considerable power and uh, we thought that he would have a very good career well a varga plant is not a very good role <laughs> no <laughs> anyway i didn't really know what a varga plant was but it turned out uh, that he had to inhabit a sort of plastic a green plastic creature which wasn't a creature at all, it was a plant, and not a triffid. It, uh, it could move its limbs and its branches, but it couldn't move from A to B. And if you got touched by a Varga plant, I'm afraid you turned into one. Uh, so it, he was uh, quite a threatening creature. <laughs> well, um, so that, uh, and, um, and that was my first memory of um, uh, Doctor Who, and I'm not sure that it wasn't <laughs> the most vivid. <laughs> Still, um, I, I had to be, I was playing um, a, 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 the pilot of a spaceship which was going to an unknown planet. I think it was called the Planet of the Unknown. Or the, the, mission. The, the episode's called Mission to the Unknown. Mission yes. to the Unknown. Well, we went to an unknown planet where it was, in, it was inhabited by Varga plants, and we crashed. And um, uh, we had to try and mend our spaceship. Um, and then we got involved, not only with Varga plants, with Daleks, but with Daleks. And 
Um, this was uh, very close to 50 years ago, and my son, who is now 52, was sitting on my knee uh, when we were watching the, um, the episode on the television. And, um, and he was only a tiny, tiny little chap of about two and a half. And, um, and I got zapped by the Daleks. And, uh, and he turned round in astonishment and looked at me and made quite sure that I, <laughs> I was still alive. Anyway, so that was, uh, that was Timmy, my son, making sure that I hadn't actually been zapped. The idea was that uh, everybody on that expedition was either um, zapped by a, um, a Varga plant and turned into a Varga plant or was killed. Uh, by the, the Daleks, and I was killed by the Daleks, and that was the end of the expedition. But just before I was zapped, I managed to throw out of my pocket um, a tape recorder or some recording tape, which told the next visitors to this planet what had happened. I can't remember at all. What effect that had? Can you remember? Oh yes, you, well, you you warned the Earth of the of the of the imminent invasion of the solar system by the Daleks. So oh, you, excellent! You didn't die in vain. Oh, good. Although sadly, when they come to listen to your tape four weeks later, it's Peter Hawkins's voice rather than yours, so <laughs> they didn't pay you. Uh, so so the tape that they listened to, because I guess they would have had to have paid to use your voice. They would have. So, yes, so instead they got Peter Hawkins to re-record Peter it. Hawkins was a, was a Dalek. Yeah, well, that, I guess that's why they got him to do your voice. So, <laughs> so they didn't have to pay him. Because, uh, yes, you were there for yes, one week he was, he was in the episode, so he said, oh, well, you can, you can do Edward's voice. Yeah. Oh, I see, I see. How, how mean the BBC were then. I know, yes. I know. I think he owes you a pint. <laughs> He's not still alive. No, he's no, not. No, no, he's not, no. sadly, no. Um, but, uh, so, yeah, because I mentioned you have a unique place in Doctor Who's history because it, it's the only episode um, of Doctor Who in which neither the Doctor, the TARDIS, nor the Companions appear. William Hartnell did have two weeks off in another story, but all the other regulars appeared. Yeah. Uh, and you are the star of the show. Yes, well, I suppose I was. I am the one of the unique actors who has appeared in an episode without a Doctor. Without a Doctor, yes. yeah. And it is also one of the few episodes which has not been recorded, so... <laughs> you can't see it, I know, you it's can't tragic. can't see it, no. Tragic. Very sad, very sad. And it's a nice cast, and I know you were reunited with them a, a few years yes, ago. Yes, I was. Jeremy Young and Jerry Barry Jackson, Barry, both yes, good actors. Yes, 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 he, poor old Barry, he turned into a Varga plant. I'm not sure about Jerry. I think he did as well. Well, Barry did very quickly. Barry starts the episode. Yes, he infected. does, being bitten. Yeah, and then Jeremy stung. doesn't get a chance to because he gets stung and you kill him. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's just right. Because I think in the publicity you were described as the 007 of outer space. <laughs> so that's oh, not bad, I don't mind that. No, not at all. Very good, very good. 50 years. Yeah. And that means that it's... One year younger than Coronation Street. Yes, which you've also done. I have. Yes, yes. I'm, Not very long ago. No, no. And uh, how? I mean, 
is it a big decision to go into a, a show like Coronation Good Street? heavens, no, no, not at all, not at all, no, it's absolutely wonderful. I mean, you, uh, you've been watching it for uh, years and upon years upon years, and then off you go, and then you sit in the green room, and there they all are, all these wonderful figures whom you've seen week in, week out. It's absolutely wonderful. Yes, I mean, the green room is the friendliest room in the world, isn't it? It's absolutely lovely. I had a very nice time one day when I was... Um, uh, standing on the lot, and um, and the hearse went slowly by with a coffin in it. And I thought, good gracious me, that's me, that's me, <laughs> that's me being driven off, because I was um, uh, eventually uh, eventually died of a stroke, or a heart attack, or perhaps a combination of both. And uh, his last moment was uh, him being dead. Well, not quite, because the last moment was him being driven off in a hearse. And I saw saw myself (laughs) being driven off in a hearse. A slightly out-of-body experience. It is a little bit, yes, it is a little bit. It was quite worrying. Now, obviously, the difference between making television latterly and making television as you did in Doctor Who... Mm. I mean, you must have seen some changes over the years. Um, Yes, I... Uh, yes, I think that um, I think that probably it's better nowadays. I think it's probably better nowadays because you feel freer. You um, you may not be as completely well prepared as you used to be, uh, but it, it sort of doesn't matter because you can go again, mm-hmm. and that seems to make an awful lot of difference. And it's so uh, it's more a hybrid of um, film and television rather than stage television, which I think is probably probably better. A better combination. Mm, I think so. And and so what did you, we've established you at Tarada, so what had got you there? What made you, um, were you always going to be an actor? Was... Not really. I was um, a silly boy at school who did some plays. I was, I went into the army um, as a national service man and um, I had quite a jolly time and played quite a lot of cricket in the army. I played, I played for the Ar- British Army of the Rhine against British troops Berlin. Um, and uh, but um, then I came back and went to university, and I was made to read law for reasons which I won't go into. And um, and that was not a success. And I was very idle, uh, but did a certain amount of plays uh, while I was at, at, at um, university. At the um, at the ADC, and eventually I left and went to Rada, and that's when I started uh, becoming an actor um, with with a, with a real vim and verve to right. succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you were playing big, quite big parts in television. I mean, there's oh, a tale yeah. of two cities playing. Oh yes, uh, Charles Darnley. Yeah. yeah, with opposite Peter Wingard. Peter Wingard. Yes, that's right. Yes. And then there's the, there was the Midsummer Night's Dream that you did, but that, that on screen. But that, I'm take, I assume that was a production of a stage production, the one with Charles Lawton and yes, yes, Robert yes, Hardy it was. It was because Peter, Peter Hall directed that. Yes, that's it? right, that's right. But it was uh, it was a stage production. Now was Demetrius, now Buffini was Lysander and Ian Holm and Vanessa Redgrave and heavens above, the well, cast was I, tremendous. I think well, we've got Julian Glover as Starveling. That's right. <laughs> Not bad going. Not bad going at all. Wasn't wasn't he a Doctor Who? Yeah, he's done a couple of Doctor yeah. Who's, yeah. I yeah. thought so. Yes, I thought so. 
Yes, no, it was, uh, th those were great days and, um, and great good fun. And that's where I met my wife, Miranda, whom you met just downstairs. Well, I, I do love the stage. I mean, I, it, it's, it, it's the one in which, although you have to be very self-disciplined, you're more completely in charge. I mean, you, you are in charge of whatever you do. However, perhaps the director wants you to do X, Y, or Z. He has to rely on your integrity uh, to, um, to be uh, not quite obedient, but following um, his, his ideas. And so you are, when it's your turn, completely in charge of what you do. Um, whereas, although the same applies to film and television, um, you're much more at the beck and call of the cutting room and the, and the director. It requires a lot of discipline, a lot of self-confidence, and a lot of humility that working on the stage. And those are all three quite um, clashing uh, um, aims, mm. really. Well, it's the curious thing about an actor, isn't it, is that an actor has no fear of appearing on stage in front of people. That's right. And yet often there's a desire, and so that could be seen as an arrogant thing, but actually most actors are the opposite of arrogant, which is why they go out and seek that affirmation. Yes, it's exactly, exactly. It's very peculiar. And, uh, and I think that that's what makes them so interesting, mm -hmm. uh, or some of them so interesting. They, they need to perform but they mustn't be allowed to overperform, And um, their humility in themselves and their integrity in themselves draw them back or allows them forward. And it's that, it's that tension mm -hmm. in them which, um, when it's perfectly aligned, makes them into very special performers. So well, would, would you count Lawton as one of them? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. He was extraordinary. I don't know his whole film career, but he, he did do some quite extraordinary, quite extraordinary work. And he was a wonderful stage actor. And, well, I saw him. He wasn't a very good Lear, I'm afraid. Um, but he was very funny and good and charming and, and uh, vulnerable, as bottom. Oh, he was, he was, he was good. What about Ian Holm, who seems to be one of those who could become, who just becomes different characters? Yes, exactly, exactly. He, he was in the company, he was Puck in, uh, in the dream. And you uh, took Napoleon in love with him later. Yes, I did. Well, wow, you have done your research. <laughs> yes, Napoleon <laughs> in love. Um, um, yes, he was, no, he was, a, he, he was and is a very special Actor indeed. Is, 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 I've read his autobiography as well, Ian Home. He's a curious one because he's self-confessedly he's uh, he's not very interesting. He only comes alive when he's an actor yes. and when he's acting, and he's he's not terribly insight. It's, it's an interesting book, his autobiography, because it's actually quite bland, which yes. is curious for somebody who's so nuanced as an actor. Yes, 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 exactly, exactly. He's he's a hidden man, isn't he? Oh. Until he's on the screen, and then you don't know quite what you're seeing, which. Is it part of him, or is it part of what he's invented for himself? But he's always very, very telling and very acute and 
very charismatic. That's why I always found Patrick Troughton to be the most beguiling Doctor Who, because you're never quite sure of him, because he didn't do interviews and that sort of thing much, no. much, and so he was always this, like, you go, how much of that's the actor, and how much <laughs> is this, this brilliant characterisation? Yeah, he's a one, he was a lovely man. I played golf with him once, and he was very, very sweet, and he said, I remember we were playing... And he didn't really, because he didn't really care about golf. I mean, he said, oh, just hit it along and see how we get on. He wasn't being competitive at all. And then he said, oh, look, that's a, that's a, a jumbo jet. Do you know that one of those engines uh, produces more power than all the aircraft engines that ever flew in the First World War? <laughs> well, I don't know whether that's true or not, but it probably is. But where on earth did he get that information from? He's a wild, wild, strange, strange mind, but a very, very good actor. Yeah, love the actor. Yeah. Well, I'm talking. You know, one of the I always feel a bit guilty um, when I talk to actors. Um, on behalf of Doctor Who fans, who quite often, you know, can be quite... I, I have a theory that Ronald Pickup hates Doctor Who because he was in, in one episode in 1964 uh, that doesn't even exist anymore. And I bet when he plays King Lear at the National Theatre, there's a group of people waiting outside just to talk to him about Doctor <laughs> Who. Uh, but I, I, actually, I then did a DVD commentary with him on that uh, uh, piece, and he couldn't have been more thrilled. And, oh, and lovely, he loves Doctor lovely. Who, no, he's a very nice man. Very Ronnie. nice man. Yeah, yeah. Terrific actor. Yeah, oh, very good. But, very you know, good. as an actor that's done so many things over the years, I know that you've been to Hammer, Do's, and is the part of you that goes, I wish people would talk to me about the inverted commas, better stuff than the sort of cult, like the, the Hammer films, which well, have a I'd, huge following, you know? Well, I... Hammer, I actually... Um, whenever I have to go to and to, to do a, a, um, a signing session, um, it's always um, Hammer, Doctor Who, or um, um, Sapphire and Steel. Uh, no, no, very, very seldom <laughs> Sapphire and Steel. Um, Bond, the Bond. Oh, the Bond. Yeah, because yeah, of course you're in the yeah, I love me. Yeah. yeah, the Bond was one day in a in a nice studio, and it was good fun and. Roger Moore was very jolly and so on, but it was only one day. And um, uh, the Hammer films, uh, they were very nice. They were done at Bray, and um, they were very friendly and nice, and I just thought, well, that's a very nice thing to have done. But of all the things that I've done, and there have been many, many, many various things, um, those are the only three that have been, you know, thought to have been significant. And, and I don't, I don't it, doesn't, it doesn't matter to me, really. It doesn't matter. I mean, if that's what people remember me for, well, so be it. But, I mean, there are a lot of people who aren't the, um, the general run-of-mill fan people who wouldn't dream of stopping me in the street or saying hello or anything like that and who wouldn't, certainly wouldn't dream of going to one of these jamborees. Um, but, um, but those people I've probably um, entertained and um, distracted and amused, and, and I think that's quite worthwhile as well. Yes, well, and, you know, uh, 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 certainly you don't get stopped in the street for being a, a, an icon uh, of the audio waves, because, of course, I introduce you a lot on The Seventh Dimension... <laughs> where you are a, a true legend of radio being the man in black. 
they call I was in the, um, the the radio drama company at the time, and um, and uh, the, the radio drama company were all rather kind of grumpy about me being the man in black because I was part of, part of the company, and they used to was to call me various things, including the hussy and mauve. Oh, <laughs> here she comes, the hussy and mauve. <laughs> and Griselda in green. Uh, but uh, anyway, no, the man in black was wonderful. I loved doing the man in black. I, I mean, it was the courageous thing to listen to the man in black when you were nine or ten or whatever it was without your parents in the house and see whether you could actually stand being there. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it really was. I mean, he really was an enormous impact. Um, and um, uh, Valentine Dahl I met going up, years and years and years later, going up the stairs to a voiceover in a voiceover studio. And he was going to do something distinguished and I forgot what I was doing. And I introduced myself, and I said, uh, uh, you're Valentine Dahl, you were the man in black, and I'm Edward D'Souza, I'm now the man in black. Oh, my dear fellow, how interesting. And I said, we were at Nottingham together. Oh, were we? I don't remember that. Um, well, you were at the big theatre, Nottingham Playhouse. Um, no, no, Nottingham Royal, and you were in a pantomime, and you were playing... Um, Abanaza. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> yes, I remember that. And I said, and I was, I was at the the Playhouse, which was then um, a converted cinema. Ah, uh, yes, I see. Yes, I, I remember <coughs> uh, the uh, the pantomime. I had there was a most frightful comic. He was he was a horrid little man. Anyway, he was a very very tedious uh, comic. And of course, you could never rely on your cues. I mean, he was very, he was very un, uh, unstable with his lines, and you never knew when to come in. And he said, "I can remember saying to him one day, you know, playing with you is like playing with them. Um, it's like being in a snooker player's nightmare." Yes, a snooker player's nightmare. And he said, what do you mean? I said, no balls and fluffy cues. <laughs> Valentine Lyle. <laughs> right from the horse's mouth. Brilliant. And uh, the, the two men in black are the same. <laughs> that's yeah. fabulous. Yeah. Um, well, you said not many people ask you about sapphire and steel, but that's, that's, that's another one that's sort of gone down gone down as a bit of a cult success. Well, it was the last one, wasn't yeah, it? We, we sort them. of zapped them. We did for them, yes. Yes. I thought it was, I've got a copy of the, uh, of the, uh, the piece of work. I thought I, was, I thought I was as bad as I could possibly be. <laughs> uh, I was really very, very embarrassed by it, but I quite enjoyed doing it. And, of course, um, uh, um, uh, what's her name? Joanna Lumley. Joanna Lumley. Lum Lum, I used to call her. She was she was very sweet, very nice, very good. Yeah. Wonderful girl.
another icon. Well, look, yes. I've, I've, yeah. I've actually I've exceeded the time I said that I would spend. Oh, have you run out of tape? I haven't run out of tape. <laughs> I'm, I'm conscious of monopolising your time. Oh no 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 no! Don't uh, worry about that. Well, if you're sure. No, yes, God quite bless sure. You. And so, who have been who have been the directors that you've worked with that you've enjoyed working with the most? I didn't enjoy working with John Schlesinger much. Uh, but you want to know who I did? <laughs> well, no, either, either. <laughs> uh, no, John Schlesinger was a bit... Ta Harold Pinter was a little bit testing. Harold Pinter um, uh, directed me two or three times, and he was always very fierce and rather humorless um, and full of very kind of tight-gripped... Uh, integrity, and you felt that you you couldn't. You, you felt you had to be very bold to go beyond what he was saying. So, but that was actually quite a good tension because sometimes you felt you had to, and so you did, and he applauded. So he was he was he was a good director. John Gorry was a good director. I did the television with him, as you said, on Edward the Seventh. Um, Peter Hall was a good director. Uh, Tyron Guthrie uh, was a, a very good director, um, but it wasn't comfortable for me because um, he, I was his whipping boy in All's Well That Ends Well, and uh, he always had a whipping boy, and it was extremely uncomfortable for the whipping boy, not for anybody else, but he felt he had to have a whipping boy, and I was, I was he. I don't know why, particularly, but um, it was, a, it was a very, very tough um, baptism, really, for me at Stratford. Then, as I'd only been in the business for two years, um, but uh, it didn't do me any harm, and um, and I felt I had a, a baptism of very cold water. <laughs> <laughs> But not a fire, not really. But it was a it was a very good production of um, All's Well That Ends Well with Dame Enith Evans and Tim Hardy and um, oh many a luminary. Mm. Mm. And, what, and where do you think then? What what parts or what productions do you think you've done your best work? As opposed to necessarily ones that you've enjoyed the most. Unless well, those two things go together. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I I did enjoy. Uh, private Lives, um, which transferred from the Hampstead Theatre Club to the Duke of York's for seven months, um, and um, was, as Noel Coward himself said, oh yes, Private Lives with Edward de Souza and, uh, and Rosemary Martin was uh, the renaissance of dear old dad. Ah. Um, and uh, so indeed it was. I mean, we, it was. I think we probably saved the Hampstead Theatre Club with that production uh, from, at any rate, a very gloomy downturn in its career. And then up it went into, into the West End and, uh, and we survived for seven, seven months. And uh, it, was, uh, it, was a very, it was a very interesting thing to do. One of the things that I will never forget about it, because it is arguably the best comedy part that's ever been written for a man, and, and I was 
quite young, 27 or 8 or something, and I was decorating my house in my six-bedroom house in Barnes and, uh, at the time. And I would finish at about three o'clock and have a bit of a snoozer. And I couldn't understand why I was so tired. And I got tireder and tireder and I didn't realise that, in fact, what you have to do to be believable and acceptable and admirable and watchable on the stage is to be like everybody else is at about 11 o'clock in the morning. That's what you've got to do. You, it isn't just you know, doing what you're doing. You've got to be... I've always... There's something else about acting which uh, um, impacted on me. I've forgotten who said it. But if you have anything elegiac to do, something very, very calm and quiet, and that is when you need all the energy in the world. And when you have something robust to just do, or a swashbuckling,er you can do that anyway, because you've got to do it. But just a whispering line of elegant prose is going to completely disappear because there's nothing behind it except raw energy and if you haven't got it nothing happens at all and so that was what I was that was I was experiencing in private lives I mean, not that it is a whispered elegy but it is delicate mm. and sometimes it's quite brash and brutal but a lot of it is quite quiet and simple and loving and charming and if there's nothing behind it, there's nothing happening. <laughs> mm. Well, because the energy's not there. Yeah, the energy's yeah. not there, that's right. Raw energy is vital. So um, any advice that I might give to an actor is don't decorate your house until 4 o'clock in the afternoon if you're in a West End play. <laughs> <laughs> that's very sound advice. I think it is, I um, think it is. You're, you're still happy to... to Tread the studio floors. Oh, you're dear. So you're dear. Yes, I, in fact, I've, um, I'm just in the middle of, um, well, I'm coming to the end of a little piece, a big piece, I think, uh, by Mike Lee, um, which is all about um, uh, William Turner, the painter. We've been at working on it for almost the whole year, and uh, I have a little bit more to do, and I'm playing a part which is really a sort of... Um, barely glorified walk-on, but the thing that is uh, very, very dear to my heart is the fact that um, not only because of these uh, sideboards, it is um, a, a, an early 18th century piece, 19th, uh, early 19th century piece. I'm a glorified work-on who uh, is very deaf and coming to the end of his life and because he's very deaf, he has an ear trumpet. So I'm extremely pleased about that. <laughs> so I stumble about and say what to everybody. Wonderful. <laughs> I, I suppose if yeah, lots of people on screen, you're always going to look at the one with the ear trumpet. Oh, Lord, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I hope nobody else has one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, look, this has been absolutely wonderful. Not a bit, uh, not a bit. I ask you to nominate a charity because you've kindly given me your time. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Wild, WWT, Wildfowl and Wetlands Trust. 
Wildfowl and Wetlands Trust. So what, 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 what is it about them that you... Well, I mean, I was a volunteer, and so I have a, this free membership card, um, and it was, uh, it was invented by Peter Scott. It used to be uh, a huge complex of um, reservoirs when the London uh, water problem was solved in other, in other ways. So they didn't need the reservoirs, and there, that that was bought and developed and brought into fruition by Peter Scott, um, who died before it was complete. But he had already done various others, like Slimbridge, for instance. And uh, and uh, I was one of the founder uh, volunteers, and so a f very few, <laughs> I'm afraid. I always say great many, but. A very few of the trees that are there were planted by me, and we we dig, dug and delved and got rid of the algae from the lakes and so on and so forth. And so it was a very very special thing to do. In fact, we got quite grumpy when um, we knew that the general public was going to be released onto this <laughs> playground of ours. <laughs> But uh, I'm now one of the general public, and I go along there, and it's very, very sweet, very lovely to see wonderful birds, wildlife. Um, I mean, wild birds come, but I mean, there are a lot, a great many of very interesting um, birds and animals which have been clipped, and uh, they, they can't fly away, but they're very happy to be living theirs, and uh, they breed there, and... Um, so they, they have their lives very fully there, and it's a, it's a wonderful place to be, and that's what I would like the money to go to, if they have any interest. Yes, please, yes, please. <laughs> and uh, we, we can be here to talk about many things, but the jump-off point was Doctor Who. Doctor <laughs> Who is 50 years old this year. Yes. It started the day after the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Good God, did you really? Yep. Well, I know. So that's also 50 years ago this year. Well, I know. Uh, so do you have a message to the listening Doctor Who fans out there on this illustrious occasion? <laughs> Don't believe a word of it, but enjoy it fully. Edward D'Souza, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Brilliant, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Oh, I can't tell you what an honour that was. I introduce Mr D'Souza on the radio on BBC4 Extra quite often, but I never thought I'd get to share a muffin with him. What an absolutely delightful fellow. Uh, his charity, www.wwt.org.uk. Uh, today's trailer at the end of this podcast is for a story that's been out for a while, but is currently available to download for just 2 and it has a Christmassy theme, so I thought it was appetite. But that is not going to come to your ears before a preview of my next interviewee, who is quite a character and a very interesting man, uh, who uh, is with, as we had Mr. D'Souza from the first era of the show, uh, an actor from the last era of the classic series. We span it all here on Toby Haydock's Who's Round. Thanks for listening. I really believe that we, human potential doesn't get fulfilled. We get too, too bogged down into what we think we should or shouldn't be doing and and that's within each culture, and then the cultures, of course, are suspicious of each other and everything else. And the only way to blow it apart is really just to be yourself. 
special thanks once again, and not for the first, and certainly not for the last time, to Margot Hayhoe, an interviewee of a few podcasts back, uh, who put me in touch with Mr. D'Souza and Les McCallum and all sorts of other people you're going to hear from. Thanks, Margot. There'd be no who's round without you. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, Relative Dimensions. Susan, there you are. And Alex, come in. Happy Christmas. Grandad? Alex, pass the sprouts, please. The structure of the ship is amazing. It's more retro than real gothic. So are all Mum's stories about you true? Alex. Why? What's she been saying? Gravy, please, Susan. About your travels. Grandfather, happy Christmas! Oh, please, not now. Grandfather, you haven't changed. Irresponsible as ever. What do you mean? Grandfather, take us home now. No. Flader shoes all over the floor. The whole colony invading my home, threatening my family and my defenseless guests. This leads down to the TARDIS powerhouse. <laughs> burning. Can you smell it? Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com.